gorgeous listeners, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Glow West podcast. Over here, we chat all about sex, sexuality, and the body. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Caroline West, and I'm delighted to be part of the Tortoise Shack Network, where you can find tons of content on politics, culture, society, trans rights, and of course, my favorite topic of sex. If you like what we do, please do consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. It really does help to keep the mics on and we super appreciate it. Or if you can, please pop over to Apple and rate and review. If you want to get in touch with me, the DM is on Twitter and Instagram. It's the same and it's at Glow West Podcast. So if you were like me and you weren't sure what month July is, it's actually Disability Pride Month. And I have a fantastic guest here to talk to me all about the joys of Disability Pride Month. So today I'm talking to Alana Murray, who is a disability advocate with a particular interest in LGBTQ plus rights and the inclusion of disabled people in discussions around LGBTQ plus rights, sexuality and community. They've published pieces in GCN and Cork's Pride, Cork Pride's 2020 magazine about disabled access in queer spaces, as well as dating and sex as a young disabled person. They're eager to open dialogue about these issues, which often exclude disabled voices. Alana, thanks, Mel, for joining me. How are you keeping today? I am good. Thank you for having me on to talk about one of my uh, one of my favourite topics. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, I, I appreciate you coming on because I didn't know it was Disability Pride Month until I saw your tweet about it. So thank you for putting that out there. And I would hope I'm in the minority, but... I, I can imagine because disabled people get left out of so many things that, yeah, the awareness is just not there sometimes. Yeah, big time. And, you know, even I myself, like I'm still very much learning. Like I think people, you know, think that because you're disabled, you automatically have this like, it's like a USB drive that like plugs into your head and you automatically know everything about disabled rights. Um, but I actually only found out there a few days ago that we actually have a pride flag. So uh, that's deadly. That. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know either. So, you know, every day is a school day. Um, and, you know, I kind of like some people don't agree with my stance in terms of I'm like people are, are ignorant, not on purpose. And, you know, I, I don't expect everyone that hasn't been around disabled people has no experience with disability whatsoever to know everything about disability um so kind of when people don't know something I'm like it's grand but here's the info so I suppose this is you know it's grand but you know now so exactly don't do it again and like Google is also a thing you're not the font of all disability knowledge you don't have to do that work like people should do it themselves Dead right. Yeah. So what is disability pride first of all and is it every July in Ireland uh, yes, so it started originally in the US, I think it was um, officially recognised by the Mayor of New York in 2015. So it's really, really new um, in like an official capacity. Um, I'm still learning about disability pride. Um, I kind of only, I only really copped that it was a thing myself and I've been disabled for many years. But, um, you know, I think with kind of Pride Month and the kind of the sting of being, you know, excluded, um, you know, majorly excluded from most Pride events and all that, unless it's specifically for disabled people, like it's only, we're only allowed to exist in 
if you're talking about dis- disability and stuff when like you know we're still members of the LGBT community at large um so I think after this thing is that um and kind of be I think having something like disability pride month is it's really comforting um because you know it's it's a whole month dedicated to you know just being just existing as a disabled person you know and whatever that means to you like whether you know whether you ident- like obviously people that do celebrate it identify as disabled but like there, there's a lot of nuance I suppose to disabled identity and language and history and all that kind of thing so it's a way for kind of all of us to acknowledge each other's truth and each other's you know history and just exist as disabled people and kind of show that kind of solidarity and you know it's really it's allowed I know from Twitter anyway it's allowed um kind of disabled creators to I suppose have a platform um and kind of a springboard to make disabled rights more I suppose more widely known um because disability rights I think is one of one of the social issues that exists very much in a vacuum like everyone gets on board with um like LGBT rights well that you know isn't homophobic or whatever but it's like pride is a big deal pride month is a big deal disability pride month crickets nothing's going on like there's there's no PR campaign there's no you know Smirnoff isn't sending disabled people a bunch of vodka bottles with a load of wheelchairs on them like it hasn't been (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know Smirnoff if you're listening I I am open to that um no but like I suppose it's good that it hasn't been commercialized in a way but also non-disabled people don't actually care about disabled rights like well like they don't because they they don't see it as they nearly see it as an aberration you know it's like oh that you know that wouldn't be me like when parents are having you know they're they're having kids they're like oh I wouldn't care if my child was gay or I you know these days but like you know for a fact that if their child was disabled they'd be singing a very different tune and then you add um, other things into the mix of being a queer disabled person. It's like the extra intersections of discrimination. Yeah, exactly. And like it's it's a whole it's a whole process to try and navigate that. Like, okay, once you start like kind of coming to terms with like your disabled identity, your queer identity kind of comes up and you're like, oh no, <laughs> I'm not doing I, you know, I'm not finding myself again. Like I I cannot do this again. Um and you know even that may not be the case it might not happen like that like you could acquire you can acquire a disability at any time you know so you could be completely happy and vibey as a gay person then all of a sudden something could happen and you know one way or another you acquire a disability whether it's you know cognitive physical mental whatever um and then all of a sudden you're the one that's out in the cold you're the one that's left out and you know you suddenly become aware 
of all these issues that you just never acknowledged before in your non-disabled privilege. Yeah, I think a lot of people think like that of a disability as something you're born with. And we forget that like you could be one accident or one illness away from from being disabled in, in many ways and or just like that's just what life is you know there's, there's yeah like I can be disabled I think you know disabled people uh it it feels like a very threatening thing to say and you know it's it's never well I'm not comfortable anyway being like oh you're only you're only one instant away you're only one second away because it feels real menacing or something yeah like a boogeyman but, uh, waiting around a corner or something. yeah exactly like it, the disabled agenda is you know going around you know making everyone disabled but um but yeah like it is it is a fact that you know it's it takes a second you know anything can happen like even like I acquired my disability young but like I I acquired it young you know like I was six and but even still like I was relatively okay until I was 10 and then the wheelchair came along and then I had kind of gotten used to that and I was you know living my best life I went through college and then last year I had a stroke there was a whole other thing all of a sudden I have a brain injury and you know it just even though like obviously I'm very comfortable in my disabled identity it was another level or like a different disability than when I what I was used to and like I still had to go through the whole process of like actually processing it so you know it only takes one thing yeah and then you're dealing with all that which sounds like an absolute ordeal to go through all of that and then at the same time as well as doing things like navigating how you know spaces are not physically accessible with a wheelchair a lot of the time but also like accessible as in awareness like a lot of queer events are just it's not thought about the idea of like physical access but also the fact that like there are queer disabled people who would very much like to come along and be a part of the community so it's it's like like I know you were saying like it's ignorance but also willful ignorance at the same time yeah like there kind of there comes a point now where I know myself like I've spoken about it like multiple times at this stage so um you know it's in like a big magazine like GCN that like all you know it's the gay bible you know like love a bit of GCN so it's not and you know people that are in charge of organizing events you know running events own venues whatever they're definitely reading it like they definitely see it and people definitely have complained in the past and they still do nothing so you know they, they know we're here yeah, it's like a choice so, at this stage. Yeah, it is. And um, you know, I think I think the late the lazy attempts at explaining why they're not accessible just aren't gonna aren't gonna cut out anymore, really. And yeah. like what like I can imagine that, you know, like that's obviously extremely frustrating in, in that sense. And the fact that like you you have your own month, but like out of out of pride like are there many like so probably goes on for a whole month right you're like multiple events a day like like is it just like nothing it gets mentioned about disability or is it like you're just like this tokenism kind of thrown in somewhere into the mix yeah it's very it's very much that like I think I I had a public one-sided beef 
with a certain pride organization because in their massive book of things that were happening during pride month um they only mentioned disabled people five times in the whole i can't remember how many pages it was um but three of them were mentioning like the department of disability or whatever um i missed two because it was persons with disabilities versus disabled people um and then the other one was an ad okay so not exactly so nothing actually inclusive just we were there you know and you know there's a there's a whole linguistic gymnastics around persons with disabilities versus disabled people that I'm just not going to get into it's so messy but um you know it, it I can always tell what kind of a person someone is based on what they use you know I I always kind of you know I I make a note of it that when I say disabled people and if someone says person with disability I'm like right okay you're not you're not a vibe I don't really I don't really vibe with you like it's just it's like complicated yeah it is it really is you know even disabled people can't agree on you know what the what the right terminology is and you know whatever you want to whatever you want to use it's fine but like I'm I will judge you on it okay (laughs) Um, but then in a lot of like I don't know like resource guides or whatever you might see it's like oh we always use person-centered language so it's not a homeless person it's a person experiencing homeless so you're putting the person first rather than defining them by the experience that that's probably where I would have went but yeah and like I think big time in terms of like academia like I know when I was writing my thesis um I kept putting disabled person in my lectures kept correcting me like correcting me as a disabled person on the right language um which was really something academia is it's a study of something you know, and, you know, they feel like, you know, they're the experts in something because they're like, oh, well, we've studied it. And disabled people are come along where they're like, well, we lived it. Like, and this is, this is what we say. This is what we use. And, you know, you'd, you'd never come up to anyone else and be like, no, you can't say that. Like, yeah. you, like policing someone else's identity um, the way that people do with disabled people. Yeah. Um, it sounds like there's an element of that of like you don't know what's best for you and I suppose that's been historically there in the area specifically of disability and sex as well it's the idea that disabled people don't have sex we're just gonna go with that and not actually talk to any people with disabilities around like what they actually want like you're kind of viewed as non-sexual for it kind of it it goes one of two ways we're either completely asexual and you know we we don't ride we have no desire to ride um my mom just walked past the window and she turned her head um (laughs) good timing (laughs) sorry mom um or there's the other side of it where like people will actively seek out disabled people because they're disabled um for the purpose of fetishizing them being like oh like I you know I love your wheelchair like let me 
you know, lick your wheelchair room or something. Um, I, I've, you know, I've, I've experienced both sides of it. You know, like I, I've done the, you know, I've gotten the hypersexual thing and then I've gotten the, oh, like, like, I think the main thing is how do you have sex? And I think that that, that kind of intrusive line of questioning, you know, like people, people feel like you owe them, like if you're on dating websites or whatever, people act like they owe you an explanation on like, like the first two or three messages in. Like, they're like, oh, hey, how are you? How's your favorite color? So, you know, how do you write? Jesus, like. <laughs> it's, it's, it's real weird. Yeah. Um, like, you just wouldn't, imagine going up to a stranger in the street and asking that, like, just. Yeah, like, like it, it, it's mad. And, you know, it, and I don't know whether, I suppose, like, Ireland has a really, really shit history in terms of, like, how we, how we've treated disabled people from an institutional point of view, from the, the ward system, ward of the courts, um, to not ratifying the optional protocol in the UNC or PD that allows us to challenge the government if we feel like our rights are being um, impeded on um, or they're not up to scratch. Um, so I think, you know, it very much trickles down in the worst way like we've we've seen you know that charities have a massive grip in how disabled people are perceived mm-hmm. and dpos disabled people's organizations they're not really given much of a look in in terms of policy or anything like anytime um you know politicians are asked have you asked disabled people about they're like oh we've consulted organizations and that's not the same. No, definitely not. Yeah. So I think in terms of like sex and sexuality, we we really haven't been given a look in, even in the policy, we haven't we haven't gotten the chance to really make a, a proper impact um in terms of like policy and politics, but just in general, like it, it trickles down from there, like we look at you know, the institutional history, then that's a whole generation of people that think, you know, disabled people as sub sub people. Um, then that trickles down to their kids. Their kids become politicians. Those politicians make the policy. Those kids have kids. Those kids get on date naps and they've seen how their parents and their grandparents perceive disabled people. Yeah, yeah, like, um, you know, it, it is getting better, you know, in terms of like how people see disabled people, but only in terms of like labor and, you know, employment, people are saying, oh, we should get more disabled people working. Like, and yeah, I agree, but that shouldn't be, you know, the, the measure of success like we shouldn't measure disabled people's rights based on how useful they are to us you know and you know disabled people deserve housing disabled people deserve working rights and you know workers rights are very important but we also deserve a place to go have a dance we also deserve the you know the right to ride you know like and 
I've I've often joked that I can turn the like I can turn the ride into like a proper issue of civil rights oh it is though but like it's one of the it's one of them things that like I can say like I've I've often used like the one night stand analogy in a case of if I if I want to go home with someone like even getting getting to the nightclub I have to plan my commute so I have to book transport from my house um up to Dublin then I need to you know find an accessible taxi to bring me to the nightclub I need to find somewhere accessible to stay so that's even before I get in then I need to find an accessible nightclub then if I manage to find one of those I have to find someone who has you know done work and you know has decided that disabled people are people you know fair play to them but then I need to be able to go home with them so there needs to be accessible transport infrastructure there needs to be you know housing you know like I need to I need to know whether I can get in the door whether there's stairs you know how I'm going to navigate that and it's the whole planning process for the ride and it all ties in to like transport infrastructure housing um attitudinal barriers physical barriers like even emotional barriers like getting into a relationship with a disabled person if you're someone who's non-disabled like disabled people disabled people have to really trust someone yeah before yeah before they um you know they get into a relationship with someone and they need to make sure that they're like a safe person and that they're not coming from a place of oh I want to be with this person because I love you know fetishizing disabled people you know so so it's this whole thing of finding out people's intentions you know and having to do it over something like tinder or grinder or whatever it's it's really tough because they're not date naps are not meant for actual human connection I don't think anymore like maybe they that's what they started off as but it very much kind of they they turned into glorified hookup apps and you know hookups can be fairly problematic for disabled people who have the same needs and desires as non-disabled people but there's actually there's way too many barriers um for it to still be an enjoyable experience absolutely and even like what you said there about the trust reminds me of um all the stats from working in the domestic violence sector of you know that people with disabilities and disabled people can be a really a greater risk of domestic violence and a greater risk of a lack of services to go to to escape so it's, it's like an extra layer of vulnerability when all you're doing is just trying to live your life and, and have good sex and everything else. And then you have to be extra cautious of, of these like predatory people, I suppose. Exactly. Like you're looking at someone and you're like, right, if this goes bad, there's no accessible shelters. Um, Maybe someone can't access a phone line because they're, de- they're deaf or hard of hearing. Um, Their partner 
can either it can be financial it can be physical it can be emotional even in terms of like taking disability allowance off them or withholding medication or anything there's this whole other level that I don't think enough kind of domestic violence um, organizations think of because they haven't consulted disabled people because they don't think disabled people are people mm-hmm. and it's this whole cycle again except way more dangerous Absolutely. like I, I'm not sure on the exact stat but disabled women are I think it's like twice or three times more likely to stay in a domestically abusive household because they have nowhere else to go yeah, or may need to rely on that person as a, a carer if that's a particular need of, of that person. And But even, like you said, they're not seeing disabled people as people. But even if they did, they're not necessarily seeing them as people who have sex and want sex and have a libido and have, you know, the desire to have an orgasm and a relationship and, and things like that. It's It's just just viewed as getting on with your life without this very you know massive human need that we have for for intimacy as well it's just not like people people say oh sex is the most natural thing in the world then the minute you you know you talk about disabled people having sex it's the most unnatural thing in the world all of a sudden and you know even even stuff like you know the the fight for sex workers rights you know often people who are against sex workers rights um they're like oh but you know they may have volunteered with a disabled charity but disabled people are sex workers too and often there's there's actually a higher percentage of sex workers who are disabled because it's you know it doesn't have all the trials and tribulations of welfare um so you know I think that you know people say that they're pro disabled rights but anti-sex work um I think it's it's bollocks and you know anyone that's anti-sex work is you know anti everything else anti anti LGBTQ anti anti women anti disabled people anti-migrant and they're like oh no we're not yeah yeah. (laughs) yeah like and that's just that's just the way it is yeah, a lot of the time, surfs and turfs can be um, very connected there. But I think, you know, like looking at that kind of equality aspect and the, the campaigns and the public conversations and stuff about, you know, sex work and things like that is a very public conversation in Ireland, but excludes sex workers most of the time. But if we look back to, is it, oh, geez, my memory, 2015, when we had the marriage equality referendum, and that was obviously for, um, you know, same-sex couples to marry, but there was never any mention of disabled people who were queer in that conversation. I, I, I think, anything. I think it's hilarious that people call it the marriage equality referendum and the marriage equality legislation when it's not equal marriage same-sex marriage because disabled people still can't even cohabitate without it affecting their benefits not even not even without marriage like even living with someone it can in their the person that they're living with um their income is taken into account even even if they're just roommates 
their income is still taken into consideration. So if your housemate, who could be anyone, um, is working, then if if you, you know, the let social welfare know, then your disability allowance can be taken away. Like, that is just wild. Like, I didn't realise that happened here. I knew it happened in the States because I'd seen some no, tweet it happens about here. And it happens it happens quite regularly. Yeah. And you know, I think it, I think it's gas, particularly that there is absolute silence from the queer community. That, you know, they say, Oh, that's not our problem. We got our we got our issue over the line and that's that's not for us. As well with conversion therapy. Conversion therapy, you know, autistic people go through conversion therapy often. And the you know the fight to ban conversion therapy in Ireland whenever you know anyone would say oh well what about us silence so I think you know non-disabled people have have a lot to a lot to answer for because we always show up Disabled people, you know, we're, we're part of every community where we go to every protest, we'll share every issue. But the minute we ask for the same, even a fraction of it, there, it's like, you know, the, you know, in cartoons where there's like a puff of smoke where someone used to be. That's everyone. We're completely on our own. I can imagine like how frustrating that is, because like you said, you're dealing with ignorance but also just people not being interested you know or just only focusing the issue around their particular need like you said about conversion therapy if it's not um you know a neurotypical gay person they're not interested and it just seems like exclusion after exclusion after exclusion and no wonder you'd be tired and frustrated yeah like to say like i know so many disabled people that have been campaigning for so many years on issues and I have no idea how they're not exhausted because I am. I'm only 24. So like the constant having the door closed in our face, in my face, because um, I am only one person. I am, you know, I only talk about my own experiences because I'd never try and speak for, for other disabled people. But, you know, in my, in my experience, it's been you know door closed after door closed and I'm left outside screaming and you know that this isn't fair I, th- I think another example of that would have been around um the abortion rights referendum that disabled people weren't a very focal part of that and the fact that the new the legislation is like oh yeah you have to wait three days between appointments and for a disabled person that's a massive deal in some cases and even still having to travel to the UK as a lot of people still need to do. It was very much a scrap to get us included in in repeal you know and I do not have fond memories of the repeal referendum whatsoever like at the time you know, I don't what was necessary, but, you know, looking back on it, you know, with kind of hindsight or whatever. God, it was rough. And, you know, I, I still very much have a lot of, I suppose, carried over responses and, you know, how I how I talk or any kind of issue 
that I'm, you know, that I'm talking about, I'm like, oh, well, I better make sure to say this because it could damage that. And it's just, it's a, it's a whole thing. It's like being, yeah, you're constantly like policing yourself. But yeah, like the, the repeal referendum, it's, you know, it's, it didn't, it didn't go far enough. And, you know, we, we talked about, you know, even the, the helpline, it's on the phone. (laughs) Deaf people can't access that. And, you know, they, I know that a lot of deaf people were kind of saying, you know, what, well, what about us? And I still don't know whether anything or another alternative was, came about, whether, you know, and it just was ignored. It was seen as unimportant because it wasn't, the, it wasn't seen as like the big issue. Yeah. Um, the the three-day waiting limit, um, it's paternalistic for non-disabled people anyway. But, you know, for, for disabled people that have to, you know, limit their their PA hours and you know transport like there's very limited transport um options for disabled people and you have to pre-book it most of the time 48 hours in advance Mm -hmm. so it's just it it's barrier upon barrier on issues that are already a barrier (laughs) you know like and it's just it's it's really intense and I know that you know the likes of like other disabled people's organizations are doing a lot of great work on you know the the repeal review is coming up and you know I think they're they're trying to make it as inclusive as they possibly can but I just don't know yeah. how that's how that's gonna go I semi-retired after after appeal you know from from being from being an activist you know it just it, it wasn't for me anymore because I was wrecked I was just constantly exhausted from trying to fight my way into a room of able-bodied people that just could not have given two shits <laughs> um and you know, I think that you know, obviously the campaign was was very flawed. Um, in turn, there was there was a lot of exclusion, and disabled people done our very best to, you know, to to be to be a voice. Um, but I think oftentimes people just did not did not want to listen. Um, and you know that's that's up to them you know like that's that's their own it's their own thing but I just I wasn't going to court them anymore I you know I wasn't going to sit there and smile and agree to work with people that did not want to give me my rights and you know that didn't want to acknowledge that disabled people need abortions and you know it, it very much is people and not women because people need abortions abortion is, is a people's issue it's not a it's not a man's issue it's not a woman's issue it's a, it's a human issue absolutely human rights part of things and then well even 
Like we had Robin Wilson Beatty on the podcast before and she was talking about acquiring her um, spinal injury late in life. And when she was talking to her specialist, I think it was about, oh, what do I do about having sex now? And they were like, oh, oh, OK. Like it like it never entered their head that they'd want to have sex. So if that's the case in the institutions, you know, if you're not assuming that disabled people are having sex, well, then you're not going to build inclusive services like abortion services because you don't think that they have sex. But I can imagine that also extends to things like sexual health clinics of like, are they accessible? Do they have um, sign language? Do they have like physical access for wheelchairs? All those kind of things. But yeah, again, can't remember seeing a lot of conversations about disability in all its forms in sexual health services especially after the pandemic when we're talking about like you know syphilis is on the rise again which is no fun for anybody but it's like are those kits you know or the the services accessible for people to get that tested yeah like i i think you know it's it's very much it's one of them things that just by people not considering that you know disabled people get the right it's a whole it's a whole other issue of sexual health not being accessible um sexual education you know isn't inclusive or accessible then again it's run by you know the church so it's going to be shit anyway yeah (laughs) well you know i think even you know being disabled and queer like i know like when i was kind of growing up like i had to do I had to go to counselling for, you know, the fact that I was disabled and, you know, it was very much a case of it not being fair that I was disabled and all my mates were going to discos and I wasn't because they weren't accessible. Um, and, you know, my my counsellors that, you know, worked in adolescent um, care or whatever in the hospital, like they, they could handle the disabled thing but they couldn't handle the sexuality thing. The fact that I was que- questioning my sexuality, like it's nearly as if they said, well, we know queer queer teenagers and we know disabled teenagers, but nobody warned us that they could be both, <laughs> you know? Um, it's like you're not, uh, humans aren't a single issue topic. <laughs> but I, I don't think it exists in any other intersection. Like I, I have... Like I have never, I've never seen the issue where, you know, people are just not thought of purely, you know, like people thought that, you know, I I can't write because my legs don't work. Like that doesn't make sense. (laughs) Like I don't write, like I I don't write with my legs, first of all. Um, Some people do. I mean, but, yeah, if you want to be creative. Like, yeah, like, yeah. Fair, like fair play, fair play to anyone that does, but <laughs> yeah. I, I don't. Um, so the kind of the, the evasive questions just got really exhausting because, you know, being being seen sex object, but that isn't sexual or, you know, it was just it was a really weird time for me in terms of like my identity and kind of how I saw myself and how I saw my future I was like oh my god I'm never gonna have kids and you know but then I was like why am I not gonna have kids what you know why have I discounted that for myself and I kind of realized that it was because 
I myself, I think, and I was like, oh my God, like I never considered that I could ride. You know, like I never considered having sex because I was like, oh, I'm in a wheelchair. Nobody's going to want to have sex with me. And I had to get over that myself. I do that kind of work of, you know, self-love and self-care and all that kind of thing. But like even once I kind of did get over that, I was like, no, like everyone wants to ride me. Um, You know, I I went from zero to 100 kind of very quickly. I went from nobody wants to ride me to everyone wants to ride me. And I went (laughs) and that unshakable self-belief has brought me into many a lingerie shop and you know a sex toy shop and the staff look at you and they put the look of panic on their face yeah they're like how do we handle this we didn't train for this this wasn't in the this wasn't in the the options for types of people we would get in here yeah you know um even like I was I was in Amsterdam um on a holiday um one one of my mates was had just split up with someone and I was like right we're going to Amsterdam like no other no other um cure for it and I was going down the red light district as you do in Amsterdam and I noticed that none of the clubs like none of the none of the sex clubs none of the um, none of the windows were accessible okay. and I thought that was mad I was like yeah. they assume that I that this isn't for me you know like and you know we we walked down for a bit of a laugh you know we were like oh wow, that's so funny it's so awkward but I I you know I left it and I was few <laughs> I was like how dare they not think I ride <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> even um, like the lanes of, of those um areas like they're quite small there's one or two that you're kind of brushing up off people and like if you had you know one of the the bigger kind of wheelchairs you'd kind of struggle even getting down the, the the road let alone the getting into one of the rooms i hostile architecture is yeah. um is alleys not being long enough for disabled people to ride in <laughs> straight up <laughs> so like, yeah. I like, it all, like it's not a or, good thing but, but, but it, it happens <laughs> yeah, like it does, you know you, you just see you know um people being like oh you know come on we come on we go up this way it's not it, it's not right or romantic but it happens yeah um and the same people don't have that luxury because the alleyways are too tight yeah, that's no, that's something that, and, that people you know when about. when people think about urban planning and city planning, they don't think about making spaces wide enough for a wheelchair to fit down so people can so disabled people can ride down it. No, I can't no? imagine that comes up in any planning meeting whatsoever. It's like, but it's, again, it's it's one of those things where able body non disabled people do it. Yeah, that's true. And take it for granted. So what why shouldn't why shouldn't disabled people do it? You know? Like even accessible bathrooms. I know non-disabled people write in them often. And you know, fair play to them. Don't appreciate that, you know, I don't have anywhere to pee, but you know, good for you as well. But if I was to come out of an accessible bathroom with someone, 
people would automatically assume that it was my care. Yeah. yeah. Not that I was getting rallied, but in an inch of my life. But, you know, they automatically assume that someone is in there because they had to be, not because they wanted to be. Yeah, I can imagine that extends out as well. If if they, you know, if someone saw you about town with, with someone and they'd be like, oh, that's Alana and her carer, not Alana and her new fella or new girlfriend or whatever happened to be. Yeah, exactly. Like I was very nervous when I got into my first relationship specifically for that problem. I was like looking around being like, oh my God, today think like that she's my carer and you know then we'd be like kissing in the street and I kind of see people be like oh oh and you know all of a sudden they they saw me in a completely different different light they were like oh my god like it's actually a person you know and and it very much is an it rather than a he or she or they um because I wouldn't have been seen as a person before that Jeez, like it's that's just so dehumanizing and I can totally understand the frustration a- aspect of that and it, like on one hand yeah it is absolutely great that that you have a disability pride month on the other hand you shouldn't have to have it because it should be included in absolutely everything as just a regular standard practice at the same time but yeah I think it's mad that like I I often talk about hoists say the original sex swings but automatic like they were only sexual when non-disabled people decided that they could use them but they're seen as a medical device for disabled people yeah that's interesting because we had um andrew gerza on the podcast about a month or so ago and he talked about making a sex tape and he was insistent that his hoist would be in it because that's how he has sex regularly. So he was like, I want to show it in it that it's not just something sterile. It's actually like a really hot part of sex for him. And I was like, yeah, actually, that's like, this is a really nice reframing of that. Yeah. So, you know, I think, you know, and Andrew is great, at, you know, for all the work that he does. And I very much admire him. He, you know, he's he's one of the reasons that I'm so comfortable talking about writing. Because all of a sudden, you know, I could see this this other person who was queer and disabled, and I was like, oh my gosh, like, like there's other people out there, you know? And, you know, I that's, I suppose, the power of representation in a way. And even like, you, you never see porn with disabled people in it. And, you know, seeing Andrew do porn, I was like, oh my gosh, like, mind opened like there there's a whole other career path that I didn't that I didn't consider but you know it's an option you know and all of a sudden it it became an option because I could see someone that that looked like me doing it and be desired and be seen as you know someone that was worthy of desire and love and you know it was mind-blowing yeah more of that please because it's just like Andrew's work is really hot in general let alone you know with with the disability representation it's hot as a piece on its own as well like objectively speaking it's fab I know I know we're we're coming up to time and I know there's a lot more so we, we might have you back on but um I just think 
like your your honesty and openness is really refreshing and it's just it's on people with disability with, with no disabilities to kind of step up or act and cop on and you know actually be inclusive instead of just seeing it in terms of like race and gender and age you know sometimes they're the kind of main markers and we don't think about disability so much so that's our issue that we need to um step up and you know stop making excuses for so um Alana it's been fascinating talking to you and you know I've learned a whole bunch and I hope all the listeners have as well and where can people find you if they want to chat with you even more or um hopefully follow your I know Cork Pride is, is over but they may get a copy of your fab article on um sex and disability in queer spaces but um hopefully yeah, and you can follow me on Twitter. I'm Alana, A-L-A-N-N-A-H-E Murray and M-U-R-R-A-Y. Um, and that's kind of my my main my main Twitter account. Um so Fab. Yeah. Cool. Grab me there. That's where you are. Brilliant. And yeah, because you're a busy bee as well, you're often doing quite a lot. So I'd love people to follow you and keep but with your work there but um yeah brilliant listen thanks Emil for coming on today and hopefully you get the ride very very soon <laughs> fingers crossed <laughs> <laughs> no worries and thanks Emil to all my listeners as well I definitely encourage you to head over to social media and have a look at some of the hashtags disability pride and then educate yourself and um you know google is there google is free and we can all stand to learn a lot and work on our own inner prejudices and lack of education and our ignorance that's there to make um, you know ourselves actually inclusive instead of thinking we are but to be actually inclusive so thanks Mel and I will chat to you next week